I had only been there a few months when I started to recognize that there was something that was not quite right. I wasn't feeling right. It wasn't feeling um, purposeful or meaningful the way that I intended it to. It didn't feel like my right place. They, um, I had had a promotion, I had had a raise. So one day I, I had to go to my boss and I gave my two week notice. They, they were very surprised. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Hey guys, have you started thinking about Mother's Day yet? Every Mother's Day, I am looking for a card or something, a gift to give my mom, my sisters, my friends. And it's hard for me to sometimes find those gifts. And so today I'm so excited to tell you about this booklet, The Mother's Might. It's a perfect, simple, inexpensive gift you can give your friends, your family, your sisters, anyone that you want to share this story with. And it will be meaningful. It's not just a little piece of candy that they eat and forget. It's something they can read over and over again because so often we, as women, feel alone and overwhelmed and burdened and like there's so many things weighing upon our shoulders. And what I love about this story is that it points us to Jesus Christ in our times of trouble, that he understands us, he loves us, he knows what we're going through and he is more than willing to help us bear that burden. And I love that about this story, that it gives not only me hope, but it will convey that sense of hope for all of you. So get your copy of it today, tamarakanderson.com slash store. You can order one, two, 10, 20, however many you want. And we will get those to you so you can get them distributed by Mother's Day. All right, now on to our show. My guest today is a wife, mother of three daughters, and has served as a youth leader in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints almost every year of her adult life. Doing so has taught her the faithful capacity of youth and a respect for the parents who teach them. Her book, Spiritual Resilience, Leading Our Youth to Go and Do, is now available on paperback ebook and audiobook. I am pleased to present Sharla Gettle. Sharla, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I would love to. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness, this is so fun. The more Sharla and I have gotten to know each other, the more we realize we have in common. <laughs> so we both <laughs> kind of grew up in Arizona for some of our growing up years, and that's just really fun. But um, in fact, one of her uncles, one of my junior high teachers, <laughs> How's that for a small world? <laughs> That's right. Same town I grew up in. Pretty nuts. Anyway, so one of the cool things about Charlotte is she dreams about and loves traveling. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Tell me some of the trips you've taken. Oh, you know, I I wasn't joking about the dreaming. I actually <laughs> dream about it. Like, like at night, I really dream about traveling. So and I've gone to many places in that capacity. <laughs> um, but my my family and I, 
we do really like to go to new places, meet new people and have new experiences. Some of my favorites have been, um, uh, we went to Thailand. We um, traveled through a couple of cities in Thailand. Bangkok, of course, was amazing. But we went out to this itty bitty island in the middle of the sea. It's called um, Sokonoi. And it is an island that was very different than the rest of Thailand um, in that it was 90% Muslim rather than 95% Buddhist. And so you you experienced a whole new culture there. And it was it was just a really beautiful experience. Of course, the beach was amazing, but the people were very warm and they taught us some of their craft and it was it was lovely. It was great. Wow, that sounds absolutely amazing. <clears throat> Being able to go and explore different people and different cultures. And you also have gone to visit where some of your people came from. What was it? Um, Croatia. Yes, yes. We went, Tell me a little uh, bit about that. So Croatia is uh, a country, it's just across um, from Italy. So it's just north of Greece and, um, and east of Italy, has an amazing coastline. It's really beautiful. Um, Croatia, however, is part of what used to be Yugoslavia. So Slovenia, um, Bosnia, Croatia, um, there's, there's several countries, very small countries that are all combined right there that were part of the Soviet Union. And when it broke up um, in the 1980s, it um, left the seeds of, of civil strife and created a civil war um, in the 1990s, which um, is the most recent European war um, that, we, that we have in our history. Croatia um, was a center of, of a lot of fighting and a lot of um, destruction of their cities and their towns. That's where my family is from. In wow. fact, my, um, my grandfather's family is from a town called um, uh, Karlovac. And Karlovac is just south of the capital, Zagreb. But it's a, an area which is not often toured by, by visitors, mm -hmm. where you have... Um, some of the more popular sites like Zagreb or Split or Grovnik, which are areas that see thousands and thousands of visitors, Karlovac is not. <laughs> However, it is a military site. And um, being able to travel to that city, I was really excited to see the, the church where my grandfather's family um, went to or the streets that they would walk down because it's not a very large city. But um, I wasn't prepared to see um, the bullet holes and, and the damage that still pockmarked the facades of the streets and the cities. I wasn't prepared to drive out into the countryside to uh, some of the smaller hamlets where other family members were from. I wasn't prepared to just drive down the highway and see whole houses just completely pockmarked with with bullet holes mm. this area just hasn't been revitalized the way that the other tourist locations have been um so it it made me very grateful that my ancestors um chose a different path in life and they came to the states and they immigrated and um they weren't there for that fighting but what an amazing story and family history you come from and i'm, I'm excited we get to break to dive into that just a smidge today, just because 
um, we can learn so much from the people we come from. And, and you mentioned this a little bit in your book, so I think it'll be fun to dive into. Let's dive into your grandpa a little bit. You talk about him in your book as being kind of a rough and tumble guy in Chicago. I mean, 1930s, he was a bootlegger. Tell me a little bit about Mr. George Papa. <laughs> so Papa is my maiden name, a uh, strong Croatian last name. Um, my, my grandfather, George Michael Papa Sr., he has been a legendary figure in my life. The stories that I've learned about his life have really shaped me, have been a foundation of my testimony growing up, and I was so proud of him. Um, not because of, not just because of how close he was to the spirit, but also because of where he came from and because of the way that he chose to change his life, because of the way that he chose to improve himself. Um, day by day in his daily choices. He had five sons. Every single one of them were stubborn and hot-headed. Um, <laughs> his wife was an absolute saint. <laughs> she probably she had was, to be. <laughs> she was kind and intelligent and um, graceful. She was uh, she was an angel of a woman and and yet raised five boys of her own plus five brothers which she basically raised herself no sisters <laughs> no daughters wow but um but my my grandfather he uh he grew up in Chicago both of his parents immigrated from Croatia and they lived in a small town called Benald in um just outside of Chicago well this town was um, populated by many Croatians and they uh were a coal mining community. They worked very, very hard deep in the coal mines, which didn't pay very well. Uh, the Great Depression was coming in. Prohibition was certainly a part of American society. And Al Capone decided that he had something he would like these coal miners to do, and it wasn't mine coal. <laughs> so uh, they actually disguised, they built a, a, a mill and disguised this mill um, and inside that mill, they produce 2,000 gallons a day of Croatian beer on behalf of Al Capone and his crime syndicate. My great-grandfather was very much in the thick of it, and he um, that was his job day in and day out. My grandfather um, was growing up in, in that experience and, and for all intents and purposes was, was planning to be, to be part of that. But he, he had, he had different ideas. He loved racehorses. He, he loved the environment. He had a unusual skill for, for training these racehorses. And when he was a young man, he ended up landing his first job, um, working in Chicago as a stable hand along with his brother. And they, um, ended up training and caring for Al Capone's racehorses. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so that was that was the beginning of a of a long history of of him loving racehorses and training them and working very very hard to know exactly what they needed. And he was very good at what he did. Wow! Isn't it amazing how um, different people have different gifts? You know, and 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 you figure out what you're good at. And sometimes you're blessed to work in it and sometimes you're not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, now tell me the story of how he went from being this rough and tumble guy to a conversion to Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Well, it there were a number of roundabout curves and twists in his story. He he actually escaped from the mob in Chicago and um, ended up in California, where he worked um, at the famous um, Santa Anita Racehorse Track. Um, he trained really famous horses, um, or he worked alongside the trainers like Seabiscuit and Farlap. That was very much part of his history. But he had a run of turn luck in California. He lost all of his money on a racehorse and decided that he, he, had to, he had to stop. He had to get into a different line of work, decided to join the Navy. The very next day, he went and enrolled or enlisted in the Navy. The Navy took him to several different locations. He ended up in Florida. In Florida, he um, was out one night, out on the town. This, my grandfather uh, very much was, till the end of his life, a very uh, stubborn, proud, arrogant, <laughs> um, rough man. I mean, he he improved so much and such a great deal, but, but he was not a perfect man by any means. And, and he, he tried very hard, but there was still just this part of his character that left much to be desired. (laughs) (laughs) One night he, he was drunk and he was uh, very full of himself, very overconfident. He was stumbled into a dance and decided to, uh, get the attention of probably the one woman in that dance who was most unlike him. (laughs) (laughs) So he, he meets my grandmother. She is tall. She is uh, college educated. She is very graceful and kind. She is the daughter of the stake president of all of Northern Arizona the only daughter, the beloved daughter. Mm. (laughs) And um, he will not leave her alone the entire night. He basically chases her home. He wanted to walk (laughs) her home and she wanted nothing to do with him. So she's like half running to her door and he's following behind. She gets to her door uh, and, and runs inside. And just as she's about to slam the door, she looks down and there's this side table. On the side table are pamphlets from the church so she grabs a stack of those pamphlets opens the door throws them at him they literally hit his chest and fall down to the ground mm. and and then she slams the door again. <laughs> oh my so he's standing there bends down and picks up these pamphlets and uh, and reads them he reads them he takes them Um, home to his barracks he passes them out to his sailor friends and um, and he comes back a few days later and he is clean shaven and sober he is respectful and um, apologetic he asks for more information this starts a a whirlwind romance between the two of them um, she starts to recognize uh, the unique traits that that he also had, besides being imperfect. He also has mm-hmm. some very wonderful, unique traits. They fall in love. 
They get married within um, a few weeks. Can you imagine the letter back home? Oh, no. Right? <laughs> but, Dear uh, Dad. <laughs> he really changed his life around. Um, and they were married. Uh, out of the blue one day, he surprises my grandmother and says, would you like to come to my baptism this Saturday? And she says, yes. Yes, I would. Mm. He was baptized. And that, that really, that really started his, um, his transformation because it, it was nothing less than a transformation. Wow. That is pretty amazing. You talk about in your book, a lot about youth and, and the word resilience. And I can see a little bit of that in your grandfather, you know, the ability to be strong and bounce back and, and once he knew which direction he wanted to point in life, he was resilient about staying the course. Mm -hmm. So so what are some of the lessons that you feel you have learned and you have perhaps shared with your children or the youth in your life that you've been blessed to interact with from your grandfather's story? I have learned that you do not need to be perfect in order to fill your role in life. You do not need to be um, perfect in order to protect your family, in order to comfort those around you. You do not need to be this, this perfect vision of, of who you want to be in order to get the direction that you need. As long as you are being humble, as long as you are humbly trying to respect Christ and 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 look for his interaction in your life, that is the seed that is going to lead to the next steps. Mm. My, my grandfather had an uncanny knack for always knowing when something was about to happen or knowing what he needed to do next. He was very close to the spirit. And um, when those five brothers, when his five sons get together mm -hmm. and they start talking, I, it's one of my very favorite things to do to hear the stories um, that my father or my uncles have, have told me in the past. And I, and I just soak that up. I love the idea that he was an imperfect man who knew Christ loved him and knew Christ was looking out for him. Mm -hmm. um, one example that, that I share in the book was when he was getting ready to be sealed in the temple with my with my grandmother. Quick clarification, being sealed in the temple means going to get married in the temple. And the difference between that and just a regular wedding is that when you get married in the temple, it's it's not just till death do you part, but we believe it means that you're married forever. So keep going with your story now. They had to take a bus ride from Snowflake, Arizona to Salt Lake City and they were sitting at that bus stop waiting for the bus to come and it wasn't coming it didn't come they waited they waited it didn't come um, they were there with um, my grandmother's parents and their new baby boy who happened to be my dad mm -hmm. with the bus not coming they decided well you know it's not going to come today so we'll just head back home well my grandfather just had this feeling he just had this feeling that he wanted to wait so he said, you know what, I'm just going to wait here to see what happens. And 
not even 10 minutes later, a woman drives up and says, sir, you know, you know, the bus isn't coming today. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and she asks him, do you want to buy my car? Within, within just 10 minutes, she, she asked that he buy the car for the exact amount of money that he had in his pocket. Uh, He, they exchanged the ownership of the car. He drove up to his to his home, picked up his family members and, and they left and they, they went to the temple to be sealed. Wow. It wasn't, it wasn't just the fact that he felt Christ, Christ had intervened in his life and he knew that it wasn't just that Christ had intervened. It was that, or he was making a promise that he could keep. He knew that Christ would help him, not just in that moment, but in every moment. And that became very evident in his life over and over again, that he expected Christ to to help him. And he did. That is so powerful. And I love, it, it shows a level of trust in God that I think sometimes we need to remember, especially in times like these, when we have a pandemic, <laughs> you know, running around and blah, kind of making our lives a little more crazy than it used to be when you have complete faith and trust in God you can rely on that that mm-hmm. he's going to get you through no matter what happens and and I love that that's applicable not only for youth today but for adults today because <laughs> it's something we need to remember if we want our children to exemplify that we need to demonstrate it as a quality right Absolutely. That's, that's the key point that I'm trying to make in, in, in the book, uh, spiritual resilience, leading our youth to go and do that, that idea that spiritual resilience is, is this form of faith that requires action. It requires that trust. It requires um, faithful decisions and actions every day. In order for youth to truly build up a resilient faith, they need to have um, very clear examples of what that means. I call it life-size examples in the book because they need mm-hmm. to see the lives of their parents reflecting those choices of, of faith and, and trust and determination. Mm. Yeah. So. No, that's fantastic. I love, um, I even wrote down some of the things you you wrote here. Do you mind if I quote your book for a minute? <laughs> I love this. You, you asked the question, what is spiritual resilience? It's a measure of strength, single-mindedness, hope, determination, and endurance that consistently answers the Savior's call for action. Spiritual resilience is what allowed Daniel to walk into the lion's den and prompted the boy Samuel to answer, speak for thy servant heareth. It is a virtue that inspired Mary to testify with such grace and self-assurance. And then you go on to list several other examples of different people who had that spiritual resilience in their lives. You know, we can read about it in the scriptures. And I think sometimes we have a hard time bringing those people in the scriptures to life (laughs) you know sometimes we just read the story and go oh that's great but but really diving in and thinking what would that have been like you know and and I love that 
that you dive in. And then let me continue. You say each of these heroes had a spiritual resilience that anchored them in their trust of God. They were young, yet they were led by the Holy Ghost. They were inexperienced and imperfect, yet they were not overwhelmed by their role in God's work. They all chose to take a confident step forward. So I love, I love that you talk about that, that that's what we need. How, how have you been able to experience spiritual resilience in your own life, Sharla? For me, it's, it's helped me not be afraid. My, my faith has helped me not be afraid of those things that I don't know, not be afraid of those things that I can't predict. And, and that really is tied back to my covenants. Uh, a great part of the book is, is based on the story of Nephi. So Nephi is the very first prophet that we um, learn from in the Book of Mormon. Um, first and second Nephi are the first two books. And it, the story starts out with Nephi, who is um, warned um, by his father, Lehi, who is the prophet at that time. And he is warned um, that they need to flee Jerusalem because of coming destruction. And so Lehi and his family leave Jerusalem and embark on this epic journey across the desert until they finally reach the sea. They're asked to build a ship and then to sail across the ocean to the Americas. None of this is familiar. None of this is easy. And yet Nephi, this young man who's... who's um, embarking on this um, great change in his life has to exhibit faith. He has to trust Christ in order to make this successful. And he is able to develop a testimony um, as just a teenager that leads his family to safety and protection and the guidance of God. So Nephi's story is unique from all of the other young heroes that we learn about in the scriptures in that for Esther or for Mary or for David, we don't have a lot of history as to why they were able to make their faithful, resilient choices. Mm-hmm. Nephi, Nephi, however, we, we have chapters. We have chapters and chapters about Nephi that go into his relationships with his brothers or, or the decisions that he made or why he made them. And, and so I try to dig into those chapters and determine what is it that helped prepare him as a teenager to make those decisions that would be so impactful on his family and also generations to come? And I try to um, determine how his choices could apply to us mm. as parents. How could his choices help us prepare our own teenagers for the important, impactful choices that they will make one day? Mm. Well, that they're making today, right? That's right. That's right. They're, uh, they're going to grow up and lead their own families. These, our teenagers today are going to make um, important decisions. They're going to solve um, spiritual riddles that have yet to be solved. They're mm. going to find new ways to support the people around them that we haven't considered yet. They have to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And the way they can be prepared for that is through the faithful actions of, of their parents, trying to set that example of humility and trust. I, I recognize that the promises that Christ has offered me gives me those, those building blocks to my resilience. 
he's given me every reason to trust him. Right. And he's emphasized those. And it, and it helps me be less fearful than I would be otherwise. That, that, lack, of, uh, that lack of fear and a, and a little bit more confidence goes a long way. One of those reasons why I trust him so much Tell me. is because I feel that he played a critical role in prompting me to make a really important decision. When I had just graduated from high school, I went to two terms of, of summer school and then in the fall, and I took a very heavy load and I tried to catch up on some credits so that I could have a bit of a break for a while. Mm-hmm. So um, in the winter term, I left and I moved to New York City. When I got to New York City, I, um, I was very excited to be able to have more experience, work experience. I, I wanted to see how very successful people worked. I wanted to see their habits. I wanted to see how they interacted. I wanted to learn what that environment was like and, and what I could glean from them. I landed a job working at MSD Capital which is a, the personal investment firm of Michael Dell. And I was working with some of the most successful people in there in the finance industry. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a great deal from them and it was a wonderful experience. I loved being there. It was what I always wanted. I had only been there a few months when I started to recognize that there was something that was not quite right. I wasn't feeling right. It wasn't feeling um, purposeful or meaningful the way that I intended it to. It didn't feel like my right place. They, um, I had had a promotion. I had had a raise. And I was living in a really dynamic um, environment. I loved where I lived. I was meeting amazing people, but it just didn't feel right. I couldn't, na- I couldn't stop that nagging feeling. So one day I, I had to go to my boss and I gave my two week notice. They, they were very surprised. I was very surprised. I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> oh, no. I, in, in the book, I think I, I say like, it wasn't even my words. And I mean, that. <laughs> I don't, I didn't even feel like it was me speaking. They offered me another raise. They offered to pay for my college education. I, and I said, no. Why did I say no? I don't know. (laughs) But I said no. And I turned around and I left the office, packed my bags, got on a plane and flew back to Mesa, Arizona. (laughs) What was I doing? (laughs) But I, uh, my future husband called me up that night that I got home um, for for our first date. We, we fell in love. We got married. I was really surprised to get married. I was very young. I was shocked that I was getting married at such a young mm-hmm. age and then shocked again to find out that I would be having our first child um, right on the day of my first anniversary. Wow. And um, so within just a few short uh, months, even my whole life had turned around. Hmm. I didn't find out until um uh about 4 years later that i was not going to be able to have children any longer i and i look back on that and i think what would have happened if i had stayed in new york mm. what would my life have turned out to be like 
it would have been very, very different than what it is now. I have three daughters. I am so grateful that I have the three children that I have. Mm-hmm. I, it would have been um, drastically different. I, I certainly would have stayed in New York. I w- certainly would have been much older when I got, when I got married and when I even started thinking about having children. Um, but, but that decision, that hinge point was critical for, for the whole trajectory of my life. And I, I thank my savior for prompting me to make the decision that I would not have clearly made myself. Mm-hmm. I would have had no reason to make that decision. And yet, and yet he prompted me and I followed and I'm so grateful I did. Wow. That is such a powerful story. And it shows that God is really involved in the details of our lives. I think so. Right? I definitely that so. that he he totally he sees those dips and turns down the path and a few years down the road that you know, we're feeling like, okay, I need, I feel like I need to do this, but it doesn't make any sense right now. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, and, and yet give it a couple of years and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get it now. And maybe sometimes we won't get the the answer till the next life. I've had instances in my life where I still don't understand why I had to make certain decisions, but it's, it's being willing to follow those, those thoughts and impressions that that you know are coming from God. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll have Sharla tell us a little bit more about tips for teaching youth uh, how to trust God's guidance. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away, and with it, my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com, and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. And we're back. I've been talking to Charlotte Gottel about amazing family stories that help teach us resilience and help teach our youth resilience. So Charlotte, what are some tips for teaching youth how to trust in God's guidance? So Nephi shares a scripture that is um, beloved amongst um, Latter-day Saints. It's it's one of the most quoted scriptures, and it's my favorite scripture. He he relates to his father his 
willingness to follow what Christ asked him to do. And he says, I will go and do for I know. He knows. What is it that he knows? What is it that helps him feel motivated and confident to first promise I will Mm. and second to actually go do something about it? Mm. He, um, we need to help the youth recognize what it is that they know about themselves and, and to help them articulate why they want to follow Christ. For example, I knew I wanted a family, but I didn't recognize that my choice to be in New York was jeopardizing my choice to um, my desire to have a family. Mm. I didn't know that I was choosing one or the other, but Christ did. Christ knew what I wanted more than I did. He, he recognized what would make me happiest. And so he was guiding me toward that, even though I was kicking and screaming the whole way. <laughs> he, he knew what was best for me. If I really dig down to what it is that I want most in life, is it, is it my family? Is it comfort? Is it knowing that I'm good enough? Is it knowledge? Is it having capabilities and power to, to do what I want to do? What is it that really motivates me? It's going to be different for me than it is for you. It's going mm-hmm. to be different for my child. Every one of us have our own uh, deep motivations. But when we can recognize that what it is that we truly want um, is, is also wanted by Christ. Christ wants us to have it too. Mm-hmm. Christ wanted me to be able to feel confident. Christ wanted me to be able to um, uh, feel comfort. And when I can recognize that Christ is the greatest source of everything that I truly, truly want, then it motivates me to want to follow him. Christ is the greatest source of knowledge. So if I want knowledge, it makes sense for me to follow what Christ wants me to do because he wants me to have that knowledge too. Mm. And he's in all of the directions that he's giving me is leading me toward what I really want. Mm. So when I can recognize that he's the source and when I can recognize that following after what he's telling me to do is just a stair step to what it is that I truly truly want then it motivates me to do it more fully it motivates Mm. me to trust him more right so so you got to dive down and and help youth figure out what you call their why that's right. They have to figure you out know what? Why is it that motivates you, and why does it motivate you? And just dive down into that. I know I, I've talked about diving down into the seven levels of why in my podcast before. So I'm, I'm I really think it's cool that you're bringing this up <laughs> because sometimes I don't even recognize my own why. <laughs> well, it changes. Yeah, it, it does. Well, sure. and it's different for everything that we do. You know, so we've got to figure out the why, because sometimes the why is what we need to pull us forward through all the muck that we have to get through (laughs) in order to get to that big why that's on the horizon somewhere, right? (laughs) Well, I I really think that all of us have have desires and and motivations. We, We get off track when we try and fill that desire in a unrighteous way. When we try and fill that desire in a way that is not within the framework that Christ has given us, 
that's when we start getting off track. Mm. But our desire, I think in, in almost, in most instances are very sincere. Like we have a desire that's true. It's just when we try and fill it in the wrong way that Mm. we, um, create hardship for ourselves. That's really not necessary. Mm. Yeah, no, I can see that. Youth today have a lot of struggles that we didn't have growing up, Sharla. <laughs> you know, we didn't have to live through COVID and online school and being lonely because you can't even hang with friends and Well, they stuff. were lonely before. <laughs> yeah. Double time. I know. That's what I feel. So helping kids find their why and perhaps helping teach them to turn to God in their struggles is the thing that we need most as parents? Is, is that what you're saying? We need to be very honest. Determining your why requires honesty. Helping youth recognize that the gospel is very relevant in their life, that the gospel can truly help them in their daily choices requires that life-size example from parents. Mm. It, but parents have to be honest with their kids. My, my story about, about going to New York, my, my girls know that story. I've taught them that story. But I also need to teach them those stories of when I have been more imperfect, those stories mm. where I've needed to repent, those stories where I had a question and I... And I hashed it out in my mind and I prayed about it and I thought about it. And even, even for a year, I thought about it. And finally, I gained the inspiration that I needed and a puzzle piece fell in to the right location. Mm. My girls need to know those stories too. Mm. They need to know about the imperfections of my grandfather. They need to know that our doubts and our testimonies can live alongside one another. They need to know that we, we are a whole person, our perfections and our imperfections. And we're, <laughs> they need to know that we're trying our best and we're, and we're going in a forward direction, but that we're taking all of our baggage with us and we're, we're trying to sort it out the best way that they can. Or the, they need to see both sides. They need to see honesty and relevance in order to recognize that the gospel can have an impact on their lives. So they need the huge aha moment stories along with the, I skinned my knees (laughs) and I totally crashed and burned at this point in my life. And I like that you bring that up. It's kind of like your story about your grandpa, you know, Mm -hmm. he was so rough and tumble. So, so imperfect. Um, Because I think we are, since we are our own worst critic, even as youth, I remember, you know, some of the negative self-talk I had about myself as a teenager. Um, I think it helps to know that, that people you look up to are far from perfect too. So I, I really like that, that idea of, of telling family stories, your own and those of your ancestors, of people making good choices and maybe not so great choices. Because um, God is God is working with imperfect people every day. <laughs> every day. And he yeah. still loves us. I love one of the things that you say in the book. Um, 
about how every person in uh, Nephi's family made it to the promised land. You can see that that same parallel in the Bible as well of the children of Israel, you know, crossing the Red Sea. And of course, they kind of wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but they eventually made it to the promised land, you know. And so sometimes our, our, our trials and our, even as imperfect people, we are going to go ups and downs, but we will eventually get where we want to go, which is eternal life right (laughs) it takes daily steps daily steps daily steps I love that I love that I love that I loved love love the story in your book but I think it's so applicable especially in today's society you had an opportunity to go hiking through a dark cave (laughs) that I, I remember reading that story and going, holy cow, I don't know if I'd have the guts, but but being your adventurous self and I, me being my adventurous self, I probably would have done it anyway. But so tell me a little bit about this story and how how applicable that is to life. So I've been a youth leader for many, many years and I have treasured my experiences with the youth. Um, on one such occasion, we were on a young women high adventure. Which, which I try and hold every year. And um, in this instance, we decided to hike through a cave in, in um, Southern Washington. This cave was an old lava tube and we had a guide with us. We had um, our two forms, or excuse me, our three, three forms of light. Our three forms of light were critical for us to be able to be safe inside the cave. But um, this cave required us to hike a a mile laterally and then um, descend several hundred feet vertically into the pit of this cave. And the pit had all kinds of of names for each level that you would hit, like uh, the the Satan's teeth or the devil's throat. (laughs) And so... We would, we would be hiking along uh, laterally deeper and deeper into the cave. Of course, it is pitch black. You can see nothing. Absolutely. There, there is uh, less than nothing. <laughs> it's pitch black. Um, we had heavy packs on our backs, um, carrying not only our, our, the gear that we'd need because we'd be camping overnight inside the cave, but also all the climbing gear that would, it would um, require because at each step, at each step we would rappel down um, to the next level and then we'd hike a little bit further and then rappel down again and then hike a little further and rappel down. Talk about faith, rappelling into the darkness, holy cow. <laughs> so then at one point, you know, we came to this, um, uh, this section of the cave that instead of having massive boulders that we were climbing around, it became a very sandy bottom. And that's where we set up camp and we um, camped overnight in the pitch, pitch black. Um, yes, it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget. It was so dark, uh, darker than I'll ever be in again. I couldn't be in anything darker. There was no light whatsoever. Mm. But it created the opportunity to discuss so many um, contrasts between the light and the dark? How do we bring in the light? How do we cling to the light? How powerful is the light? 
um, how necessary is the light. It created this opportunity to discuss and to ponder on so many ideas um, of that contrast between Christ and Satan, Christ and darkness, Christ and um, lack of knowledge. It, it created this opportunity to consider all of the impacts that um, we have on our lives when we turn towards Christ. Mm. Wow. That, that is really cool. And I love that. Um, so perhaps one of the takeaways there is to give uh, youth the experience to go on things like these and be able to talk about perhaps parallels you can see between nature <laughs> Because I think you can learn a lot from nature um, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that my husband and I just went on a hike uh, a couple of weeks ago to a state park that's not far from our home. And it was so quiet. We were there in the middle of the week. It felt like we were the only people on the planet. I kid you not. It was so quiet. And my husband was like, it is so quiet here. You know, and it kind of, we ended up talking about how uh there's that scripture that talks about being still and know that I am God and how often do we really quiet down everything in our lives and take time to be still and so it's it's interesting that we can pull so many analogies from nature so I think it's cool that that you were able to do that and pull those analogies so so very very incredible so these fun, fun stories and adventures are awesome. But what about day-to-day -day application, Charlotte? I mean, how do we help the youth take things from adventures in their life or in the lives of others to day-to-day -to -day living? In, in the last chapter of the book, I, I do something that, that I hope readers appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> I, um, I go through this series of um, experiences, small experiences that I had over just a, a several month period and how um, my, my daily interactions with my savior through prayer or through going to church or through participating um, with the youth in the youth program or, um, or discussion that I might've had with my husband or my, or my children. I, I, um, list out smaller experiences that I had one by one and how it led me to an important decision, but how each of these smaller experiences were integral to um, building my understanding in order to make a bigger decision. Mm. And these, these stories like this experience in the cave or, or the guidance that my, my grandfather might've experienced, or even the guidance that I had I can relate those stories to my children and I can teach that to them because it, it, it feels amazing for me to be part of a story like that. Yes. But these, these small interactions are just as important. Um, the small interaction that I might've received to, to reach out to the person who is walking next to me or to send a text or to read a scripture or, um, or a small prompting that my husband might have had to comfort me when I was feeling anxious, or um, all of these, all of these small interactions build up and and are important and are critical. Our children need to recognize that the Holy Ghost is part of their life on a daily basis. That 
the Holy Ghost is not just there for us to um, make hinge point decisions, but there, the Holy Ghost is also there in, in all aspects of, of our lives and interacting with the people around us to support us, to help us feel loved, to help us feel more confident on a daily basis. Mm. And these small micro steps are, are just as led by our Savior are just as important in helping us build build a confidence and a faith in him. They're just as important in helping us feel that we can trust Christ and his plan for us. Hmm. God is willing to connect with us in minuscule things Absolutely. on a daily basis. And probably the more that we listen and um, to those little tiny thoughts that we have. I remember reading once, um, Camilla Kimba, Kimball said, never suppress a generous thought. And I think sometimes I, I used to worry a lot more about, well, I don't know if this thought is from God or if it's just me thinking. And that quote kind of helped clarify for me that if it's to do something good, if the thought is to do something good, then I should do it anyway. Right? It, it, okay. Who's it going to hurt? <laughs> if it's something kind, if it's something generous, if it's something that's to uplift and build other people, those are important lessons to learn that God is in the details of our lives. It's I love my that. understanding that the Holy Ghost really is that that prevalent in our lives. The Holy mm. Ghost really cares about us that much. I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy that. Um, receiving a prompting from the Holy Ghost is like someone throwing you a football and you reaching out to catch it. Mm. And, and, and that an analogy is important to recognize the work that we have to put into being close to the spirit. And that's true, but that's really not the way that I see the Holy Ghost. I, I believe that the Holy Ghost is led by our savior to, to teach us in a way that is um, much more comprehensive that the Holy Ghost is there to help us make um, big decisions and small decisions. If we, if we were following the football analogy, it's um, the other players, it's the football, it's the stands, it's the scoreboard, it's the, it's the coaches, it's the, um, the medical staff, the, all of it. The Holy mm -hmm. Ghost is helping us in all of those ways. And, and Christ wants us to feel safe. He wants us to be supported. And so we need to more fully recognize and, and give credit where credit is due. We mm -hmm. need to more easily um, uh, acknowledge that Christ is interacting in our lives, that he loves us that much, and, and that we're that important to him. Wow, this is awesome. Well, Charlotte, this has been so much fun to sit and chat. And and hear how stories from your past have influenced you and now influence generations, right? And, and that even stories from the Bible or from other scriptures can impact generations as well. And so stories are beautiful, but it's not just the big stories. It's the little things that we do every day that matters. It's the little choices. And I love, I love that, you, that you've incorporated both that they're all part of us learning to have that full trust in God. So your book, let's see if I can get the title right, <laughs> Spiritual Resilience, Leading Our Youth to Go and Do, is available this week. Here we are, April. So 
It's available on paperback, ebook, audiobook. What is the best way for people to get your book? Um, it's available on Amazon, but anywhere books are sold, you could um, you could find it. Yeah. Wonderful. And I have a website, charlagettle.com, which, you know, people You better are spell say, your last book, name for us. <laughs> That's right. So my name is spelled S-H-A-R-L-A. G-O-E-T-T-L, charlagettle.com. And I have a lot of stories about my grandpa that I've, that I've added to my website that aren't included in the book, but that have just have been such a support to me. And, and I wanted others to, to share in those stories because he had a pretty remarkable life. That's cool. Well, you don't have to convince me about the power of stories. That's why I interview people all the time about stories of hope. So I appreciate you being willing to dive not into not only into your story a little bit, but into the story of your grandfather, which has been so impactful in your life. And I think it really does give us hope that even though we're so, so imperfect, <laughs> that that God has a work for us and 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 He's willing to work with us where we are with whatever strengths and weaknesses we have and help us make progress. You know, it's, it's such a story of hope. So thank you for being willing to share that. Thank you very much. Progress is what I want the most. It's what motivates me. So I appreciate this opportunity as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember God loves you.